We're taking a short break from our regular series to re-air some past Christmas episodes. I'm going to try and release one a day until Christmas, and then after Christmas, we will return to our regular series. So enjoy this Christmas church history episode. Imagine it's December 25th in the Nordic. Jesus hasn't come to earth yet, so you're not celebrating Christmas, but you are celebrating. You're with your dad and you're in the woods looking for the perfect tree. Yule is going to start and you need the perfect Yule log. You need to burn it for a long time because the party will last as long as the fire lasts. So the bigger the log, the bigger the party. You've already slaughtered your animals, except for the few that will be used to breed in the spring. So there's a lot of meat. But you remember from years past, that meat will run out in the winter, and you will eventually have a cold, miserable winter, where you hope there's enough food to get you through. But right now, there's plenty of meat, and the women are preparing it now for the party. There will be lots of bread and wine. You find the largest tree and help bring it home. That evening you watch as the sparks from the tree float into the sky. Your father has told you that every spark represents a new animal that will be born in the spring. The same day in Germany, a similar celebration is taking place. But in Germany, they add the fear of a god they call Odin. They're afraid because Odin comes in the night before the day of the celebration and marks the good and the bad you have done. And he decides who will die in the new year and who will live. The same day in Rome, they're celebrating the god Saturn. And here, they don't burn a Yule log. Here, they allow the slaves to be the masters, and the masters are the slaves. In my very first episode of Church History, we talked about the birth of Jesus. God came to earth to save us from our sins. Born as a baby, worshipped by shepherds and wise men, almost killed by King Herod, escaping to Egypt, and then returning to Israel to live his life healing the blind, lame, and feeding the hungry, and even bringing people back from the dead, but more so preaching the good news of the forgiveness of sins. Crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb, only to come back to life three days later. Seen by his disciples and others before disappearing into the sky, saying that he would return. When his followers returned to Jerusalem to wait for the gift Jesus said he would send them, and that gift is the Holy Spirit and he empowers them with boldness to preach. And the church is born. So did the early church celebrate Christmas? No, actually, their focus was more on the death and resurrection of Jesus, not the birth. In fact, Rome was celebrating the pagan holidays at this time, and the early church refused to participate. Celebrating the Roman holidays and worship was actually law, and the followers of Christ, who were called little Christs or Christians, were arrested and told to worship the gods or face death. We talked about this in our episode, Just a Pinch. But the men, women, and even children refused to participate in the pagan celebrations or worship the gods, and they were burned, eaten by lions, stabbed, or crucified. The persecution of the church came in waves, but in the spring of 312 AD, a Roman leader named Constantine converts to Christianity after a dream, the night before a battle, tells him to fight under the sign of Jesus Christ. We covered this in our episode called Constantine Arise on the Scene. Constantine makes Christianity the official religion, but 
what would happen to the celebrations on December 25th. If Constantine was to forbid these celebrations, there would be an uprising. Constantine said the festivals could continue, but they could not involve any pagan worship. The church began to celebrate the holiday, which they had not done before, but they wanted their fellow citizens to think about Jesus Christ instead of thinking about the pagan gods. The Christians did two things. One, they put apples on the fir trees that people put into their homes. The apples were a symbol of sin from the story of Adam and Eve. They put the apples on the tree to remind their fellow citizens that Jesus took our sin when he died on the tree. By placing the apples on the tree, they were showing how they replaced their sin on the cross. They also took the garland and wrapped it in a circle to symbolize the crown of thorns. They added red berries to symbolize the blood, and they hung it on their door to symbolize the blood of the lamb the Hebrews put on the doorway on the first Passover. Today, we don't have apples on our trees. Instead, we put balls in its place, and we still put Christmas wreaths on our doors. This is where those two traditions started. The church really wasn't celebrating Christ's birth at this time. They were more introducing their pagan neighbors to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not his birth. Then a really smart, mathematically-minded monk named Dionysus came up with the idea of dividing the calendar into AD and BC, before Christ, as in BC, and in the year of our Lord, which is AD. He believed that Jesus was born on year one of AD in the year of our Lord. However, according to Luke 3, John was preaching in the 15th year of Tiberius. So we now know that in the year 1 AD, Jesus was probably about three years old, but it was close. Now, was Jesus's birth on December 25th? I could write a book with all the different theories of the day Jesus was born. Really, doing research to answer this question got to be very confusing. There's a million different views. But what we do know is that in the 4th century, the church did officially declare December 25th as the feast day of the Nativity. However, the church was now the East and the Western Church. The Eastern Church picked January 6th as the day to remember Christ's birth. So the church has been using that day to celebrate the birth of Christ for over 1,500 years. In the Eastern Churches, they still celebrate on January 6th. And in the Western Churches, we celebrate December 25th. So what was their motive for picking that day? I don't really know. There's a million different things that people have to say about that, but none of us were there. And to be fair, I don't really think it matters. What we do know is that from that moment on, the date was very important and significant, and many leaders picked this day for their important celebrations, including Charlemagne. We talked about him in our episode, Charlemagne. And then came the Council of Nicaea. The meeting starts on May 20th and lasts until June 19th. The Council of Nicaea. Present at this meeting are two religious leaders, Nicholas and Arius. Nicholas believed that Jesus was and is God. He died, but rose again and is alive. Nicholas had been tortured many times when Christianity was illegal. He was used to standing up for what he believed in and refused to back down. Now that Christianity was legal, he was standing up in the church to Arius. Arius believed Jesus was a man. He was not God and that he is dead and that Jesus is someone we can simply learn from, from his writings. Arius stands to address the group. He's speaking and explaining to the group his views on who Jesus is. Nicholas stands in defiance. The two men begin arguing. As Arius continues to say that Jesus was not God, Nicholas punches him in the face 
knocking him to the ground. Okay, we're going to take a short break from today's episode because I want you to hear about another podcast I think you would be interested in. Did you know God is not disappointed in you? The Grace in Full podcast is all about helping believers understand God's grace and your new life in Christ. We cover topics relating to daily life, church ministry, and pop culture. This is not your best life now. This is not man-centered religious efforts either. This is the freedom to live perfectly imperfect with a loving Father beside you. I hope you'll listen to Grace in Full wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our episode. Who was this Nicholas guy? Other than a strong believer in the fact that Jesus is and was God, Nicholas was a very wealthy man. His parents had left him a lot of money. He gave his money generously. One day, he heard about a man who had three daughters. The man had no money. His daughters were about to be taken as slaves. The girls wanted to be married, but they had no money for the wedding. Nicholas wanted to help, but he was a humble man. So he dropped three pieces of gold through a window for the man. One for each daughter. The gold landed in the stockings of the girls they had hung by the window to dry. The money helped pay for the father's debt and pay for the girl's wedding. The story spread quickly, and this was not the only time that Nicholas dropped money or gold through windows to help people. After he died, the church set aside December the 6th to remember his generous giving and how hard he fought to keep the purity of the scripture. His story was told to children as a way to teach them to be kind and generous. This story became very popular in Germany and also with the Dutch people. They had two different versions of the story, and they pronounced the name differently. Meanwhile, paganism was slowly disappearing, and by the Middle Ages, the Christian celebration of Jesus' birth was the celebration of December 25th. The large cathedrals held a special mass for Jesus' birth, called the Christ Mass. And it was solemn and ritualistic. But on the streets, it was a different thing altogether. The holiday was more of a celebration. During the Middle Ages, carnivals were very popular, and the carnival atmosphere was huge. There was a lot of drinking and a lot of fornication. Also, a beggar would be picked to be the king for the day. One of the biggest parts of the celebration involved peasants going to the lords of the land and demanding their finest breads and wine. During this time, people were still remembering St. Nicholas, but a story had begun to spread about him. In the book of Revelation, Jesus returns on a white horse and has with him a book. If your name is written in the book of life, you are safe. If your name is not written in the book of life, you are doomed to hell. The story went that St. Nicholas comes riding on a white horse and with his book, and he would check to see who was following the laws of Christ, and he would report back to Jesus. This story traveled all the way to Norway. However, there are no horses in Norway, so the story was changed from horse to reindeer. And since you don't ride a reindeer, he rode on a sled that was pushed by reindeer, and the day was still celebrated on December the 6th. Then came the Reformation. We talked about this in our episode Martin Luther. There was three episodes on him, actually. The Reformation broke away from the Catholic Church, and in creating a new church, things had to be decided about what elements they would keep and what elements they would break away from. December 25th was part of this. Martin Luther put lights on his trees, and he told his children the lights were to remember the stars over the manger and that Jesus was the light of the world. 
The tree now had apples to remind us of the sin put on Jesus on the cross, and the candles to remind us of the star over the manger and the light of the world. But it wasn't until the Puritans that the Reformation really took a look at Christmas and at the celebration. The day was still divided into two, the serious and reverent Christ Mass and the drinking carnival atmosphere, which was a celebration on the streets. The Puritans wanted a pure church. That meant only what was celebrated and done by the first church could be done in the church. We talked about the Puritans in our episode, The Puritans, and The City on a Hill. The Puritans got rid of Christmas. The people who were part of the church were not allowed to participate in the celebrations. In 1642, the Puritans were part of a group led by Oliver Cromwell, who overthrew the king. There was a new way of life in Great Britain, and one of the things the Puritans did was cancel Christmas. They made it a law that the stores must be open on Christmas, and churches must be closed. There would be no Christ Mass and no celebrations. People were very angry about this, and the celebrations of Christmas went underground. One of the things people wanted were Christmas pies, but bakers could not advertise, and people could not ask for Christmas pies. So they created a name, an underground name for Christmas pie. They called it minced pie, and it was a code to say they wanted to order a Christmas pie. Four years of underground Christmas celebrations were just too much. The people turned on the parliament. They would take a king they didn't elect if it meant they could have Christmas back. In 1656, Christmas came back when Charles II was put on the throne. The Puritans were already in the New World at this time, and they took their anti-Christmas with them. In 1659, a law was written in the Puritan colonies that forbid Christmas spirit. If someone had Christmas spirit, they would be fined five shillings. But not all the colonies did this. John Smith's colony in Jamestown had huge celebrations. They had huge dinners with large game birds, lots of bread, oysters, and a special new drink they invented called eggnog. There were many different colonies and all celebrated or didn't celebrate differently. The people who traveled from Holland celebrated on December 6th as Sinterklaas Day. The English really got into the story, but their English accent pronounced it differently and it came out as Santa Claus. As a Canadian, this next part of the story of Christmas is kind of special. It was Christmas Eve, 1781, and the very first Christmas tree in North America was being decorated in Quebec, Canada. The Baroness Radicelle was hosting a party of British and German soldiers. She wanted to show the German decorations, which of course included the Christmas tree. Then, in 1783, the War of Independence ended, and America was born. They wanted to have nothing to do with anything that was part of England. They didn't take on any holidays. In fact, on the first Christmas, U.S. Congress held a session on Christmas Day as a way of showing they were no longer part of Great Britain. They were a new country and didn't have any of the king's holidays. This lasted for 67 years. There was 67 years with not a single holiday. In the start of the 1800s, people started to bring the Christmas celebration in with or without a national holiday. The celebration was the carnival atmosphere in the streets. This became huge in New York. By this point, New York had become an area that had the wealthiest in America and the poorest. A writer named Washington Irving wrote a section of books called Bracebridge Manor. 
It was a story of Christmas gatherings at a manor where the poor were welcomed into the celebrations. The celebrations were about family, eating together, love, and peace, and there was no carnival atmosphere. A pastor heard the story of Sinterklaas and wrote a poem for his children. The pastor's name was Clement Moore, and the poem was A Night Before Christmas. The idea of Sinterklaas with his reindeer and sled now received names for the reindeer, and the pastor never intended for his poem to be popular, but it became very popular, and he was actually embarrassed by it because he had written more serious work that he would have rather been known for. But he would go down in history as the writer of The Night Before Christmas. The carnival celebrations, however, continued to grow, and they became very rowdy. And since there were no lords to demand fine wine and bread from, the wealthy were attacked. In the year 1827, the celebrations became so rowdy that the next year, in 1828, a police force was created to keep people safe. In 1828, a man named Poinsett, who was a minister from Mexico, brought a flower to America that he thought would be a perfect Christmas plant because it was red and green. And we got the poinsettia. In 1843, Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, and the book was an instant hit in England and in America. Factory owners began to see the need to give their workers a holiday, and the next year, factories started to close on Christmas Day to give their workers one day off. The same year, J.C. Harsley printed the very first ever Christmas card. They were immediately very popular. People wanted to give them away and receive them. Soon other companies were getting into the action and Christmas cards were in almost every home. Back in England, Queen Victoria married Prince Albert of Germany. In Germany, the tradition of the Christmas tree with the apples and the lights was an important part of their history and important to Prince Albert. Queen Victoria had a tree put up in the Windsor Palace for her husband. In 1848, a reporter drew a picture of the royal family in their home with the Christmas tree in the background. Immediately, all the lords and ladies had to have their own tree. And five years later, the tree was in almost every home in England, and soon in every home in America. By this time, everybody was celebrating Christmas. The carnival had disappeared, and all that was really left behind was one parade. Families put up trees and sent out and received Christmas cards. Christmas parties and family gatherings as well were becoming very popular. Although there was still no official holiday, many business and factories closed for the day. People wanted to have a special service in their church. However, only the Catholic and Episcopal or Anglican churches at this time were holding Christ Mass. The Protestant churches were not holding special Christmas services at all. However, the congregations really wanted something. So, churches began to hold special services. In 1861, civil war broke out and it lasted all the way until 1865. At this point, the idea of Santa Claus was really only popular in the South. Abraham Lincoln created a poster of Santa Claus hanging out with his soldiers for a Christmas poster. He made sure that these posters were put up in the South as a way of saying, hey, your guy supports us. In 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, Thomas Nass drew a picture of Santa Claus for a paper. And for the first time, Santa Claus didn't look like a Catholic priest, although he did still have the red robe. Now he had a large belly and a huge jolly smile. By the time the Civil War ended, Santa Claus was everywhere in America, and store owners had him visiting their stores to meet the children. Finally, in 1870, 
Christmas became an official holiday in America. In New York City, 1882, the home of Edward Johnson, who worked at the Edison Electric Company, was decorating his tree with something new that he had created at work, especially for the holidays. A string with 80 tiny light bulbs. This was the first tree lit without candles, but it wouldn't be until 1890 that the lights were sold in stores. Then, in 1939, a man named Robert L. May wrote the story of Rudolph, adding one more character to our Christmas story. For the next 100 years, Christmas trees, parties, food, music, movies all added more and more every year. Children couldn't wait to find their presents under the tree, and parents loved seeing their children happy. Through two world wars, Christmas never ended. In fact, one Christmas day during the war, the soldiers stopped fighting and spent the day playing football together and sharing food before going back to killing each other the next day. There was just something about the day that brought peace, love, and joy. But by the 1980s, the celebration had become extremely commercialized. People started going into debt in order to make the perfect Christmas. Parties, presents, new clothes, lots of food. And the church began to ask the question, wait a minute, where is Jesus? Have we taken Christ out of Christ Mass? Churches started to put an emphasis on the Christmas service. Large choirs, orchestras, pageants. The church went big. For the church, this was a time of trying to remind society that Christmas was actually still a Christian holiday. And keep Christ in Christmas became a slogan. In the 90s, society started to fight back. There became a push to cancel Christmas. It started slowly and subtly. Merry Christmas was changed to Happy Holidays. And Christmas vacation to Winter Vacation. Christmas party to Holiday Party. When I was in high school in the 90s, my high school had a friendship tree instead of a Christmas tree. The idea of friendship tree didn't take off, thankfully, but the rest did work. It was successful. Those who noticed what was happening began to complain, but they were few and far between. Even pastors and church leadership were afraid to complain about this, and anyone who pointed out what was happening was laughed at and told they were being too touchy. There's no such thing as a war on Christmas. No one's trying to cancel Christmas, and there's no difference between Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. But by the start of the 2000s, people began to ask a new question. Should we even have Christmas as a national holiday? I mean, if Christmas is a Christian holiday, we have so many different religions now. It's not very inclusive to have a national holiday for just one religion and not the rest. Over the next 16 years, this question became more and more popular, and the idea of winter holiday became more acceptable. Then came a man named Trump, who said Christmas is back. He said Merry Christmas. He put a nativity scene in the White House, and he was not afraid to admit that there was, in fact, a war on Christmas and he was fighting back. It seemed that for a few years, Christmas was back. And that is the story of how we came to celebrate Christmas and where we are today.